In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. One of the beautiful things about our, our faith, the fact that we're Christians, the fact that we follow our Lord Jesus Christ, is that He calls us to unity. He calls us to a very important aspect of not only being one with Him, but also being one with, another, with one another through Him. And so it's this wonderful sense of belonging in so many different ways. We belong to each other, we belong to Him, we belong to one another through Him. And so we never ever want or need to feel alone. And that's why one of the biggest problems we could ever encounter is selfishness. A sense of only looking for oneself. Because that takes us so far out of the picture of God wants, of what God wants for us, that it makes us totally different beings. As much as we joke about it, as much as we say that it's become secular, when you look at events like Christmas, you realize that the importance is, as much as, you know, as consumerist as it has become, it's about giving. Now, it doesn't have to be about giving very, very, expensive things or very elaborate things, but it's about giving. Because we as humans, a part of us feels so energized by giving because that's the nature that God gave us. We underestimate what it means that in, you know, in the book of Genesis, we're told that God made us according to his image and according to his likeness. We underestimate that. We don't understand what it means. It's definitely not physical because God is not, is not physical being. He's not, he's not body. He's not like us. So the image and likeness we're, we're speaking about is an image and likeness of his character, of himself, of his spirit. We also know in the Gospel of St. John that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He keeps giving us things because He wants us to be happy. He wants to share with us. So we become selfish. We become self-centered. We become very ungodly. We're warned in the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 3, that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. So not only is God our God, the God, not only is he one who brings us together and gives us his nature and makes us about one another, but he wants us to be united with one another. He doesn't want us divided. Again, divided from each other, divided from him, or actually divided within ourselves either. Because that division can go in so many different ways. We can suddenly feel that we're divided internally. We don't like each other. We don't want to be with each other. We don't want to spend time with each other. And that division is destructive. That division makes us so ungodly because it takes away from our desire to be one 
Don't forget in the Gospel of St. John chapter 17, when our Lord prays, he prays about him and the Father being one. And then he prays and says that they may be like us. So his prayer is for our unity. So God doesn't want us divided. God also does not want us divided from himself because he says to me, return to me. He says to me, how many times have I wanted to gather you under my wings? He says to me, I have come, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He says to me that he is the living water and that if I drink from him, I will never thirst. He says to me that in him is life. He says all of those things. He tells me all of those things. And so therefore, he doesn't want me divided from him because without him, there is hunger, there is thirst, there is death. And so he doesn't want me to hunger or to thirst, or of course to die. And finally, of course, he doesn't want me divided internally because that internal division, as we've, we've heard, that internal division is failure, is weakness, is, is defeat, is destruction. We're warned that we can't serve two masters. Because we'll love one and despise the other, or be loyal to one and deceive the other. So that sense of oneness, it's such an important thing. St. Paul in his first epistle to the Corinthians chapter 1 says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Christ's household, that there is contention among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Now that's okay if we're just talking about the faith. Of course you're going to say, well, St. Paul was speaking about the way they lived their faith, the way they practiced their faith. But in actual fact, our Lord Jesus Christ is incorporated into every part of our lives into everything. So I must therefore look at myself and say, if I'm divided from you, or if I'm divided from myself in terms of the evil and the good, in terms of being torn from that life of righteousness, life of sinfulness, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided in any way? Can part of me be for good and part of me be for evil, but can they both be for Christ? Of course not. So whatever I practice must be consistent with Christ being a part of it. And that's going to be your basic, basic litmus test. This is an important time because we've got lots of young people going to universities, leaving home for the first time, living away, 
and starting to ask questions. Can I do this? Can I not do this? Should I do this? Should I not do this? And you, you're in this state of confusion. What's right and what's wrong? What's permissible? What's not permissible? And as I've said before, one of the most confusing ways of living is to take a case-by-case decision. Is to make a case-by-case scenario-by-scenario assessment. Okay, today these people are going to this place. Is it right or wrong? Should I go or not go? This person is going to that place. Should I go or not go? These people are doing this thing. I'm being exposed to that. And taking almost an independent decision on each and every one of them. As I've said to you before, process is important. And many of you in your work will deal with establishing process following process because it just makes things clear. So we need to develop a process for our spiritual lives. And what that is, is, is this consistent with Christ? So you have one question you ask in absolutely every situation. One question asked all the time. And that becomes your litmus test. It becomes your measure every time. And it's an individual, consistent measure. So rather than having to think of every situation, your measure is going to be, if it fits with Christ, then it's right, it's doable. It's actually desirable. If not, then it's not. Because otherwise we get half measures. Well, sometimes things are okay, and you know, it's not really destructive in this situation. And you know, what about this thing, and I'm doing that thing? And it all becomes very subjective. But if we have a firm test, a test that says, I want one life, with one consistent theme and I apply that test then my decisions are going to be much much easier so is Christ divided? no Christ is not divided and so therefore we can't be divided St. Paul goes on to say, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there is no division among you, but that you perfectly join together, be of the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, he's speaking to a group. What about individually? Are we always of the same mind? You think, hang on, how can I be of the same mind? There's only one mind. Yes, there's only one mind. But is that mind, A, of the same mind as Christ? And B, is it consistently that same mind all the time? Is it the mind of Christ all the time? Or does it change? Does it change based on who I'm with? Does it it change based on what situation I'm in? There's the mind of Christ in me that seeks God's love and seeks perfection in him. Is that mind of Christ always there? Because if it is, 
then my life becomes consistent. Then I'm not divided. Then I'm unified. There's nothing worse than being of divided mindset. Where you're trying to do good things in one sense, but then you're also living an alternative life in another. Because that just doesn't, it doesn't marry up, it doesn't work. My heart, when I'm doing things, is my heart for Christ. My intention is my attention for Him. And even when I'm dealing with other people, you know, sometimes our intentions in, in dealing with other people aren't right. They're not transparent. I say one thing but mean another. I intend one thing but do another. So that oneness, whether it's with others or within myself, is important. What's even more is that God, He warns us of having deceitful lips. In speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, He said to them, woe to you, so many times. Because their outside wasn't the same as their inside. But it's not just about the outside and the inside. Now, why weren't those things the same? Is it just because they looked one way but lived another? That's not the only problem. That's the manifestation of the problem. That's the manifestation of the problem. The manifestation of the problem is that we sometimes have a heart for Christ, but then we live in a different way. That's the manifestation. But the reality of the issue, the reality of what we're living, is that that manifestation comes about because I don't want to have a unified heart. I want to live in two worlds. I want to live with God, but I also want to live in and with the world. And so the manifestation of being one thing outward, one thing inward, isn't just about the life I lead, it's why I lead it. It's because I don't want to give up certain things. So how do I fix that? How do I fix that within myself? I live one life. One intention. I have one way of trying to look at what God wants of me. And then I have one way of making it happen. Second Corinthians 5.18 says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So, yes, God doesn't want division within us, but God realizes that that division will happen, whether internally or with each other or with Him. He realizes it will happen because of our humanity, because of our weakness, because of the way we function. God isn't, isn't delusional. He knows how He made us. He knows our incredible strengths that He has given us, but he also knows our weaknesses. 
He also knows our limitations. And so what he says is, fine, I want you to be one, but in the event that you're not one, in the event that things are broken, we can fix them again. I can reconcile you again. I can reconcile within you. I can reconcile you with each other. And I will even reconcile you to myself. And of course, when we got to the stage of the breakdown of the whole of humanity, the reconciliation had to be at such a scale that God reconciled the whole world through himself in the incarnation, in the crucifixion, in the resurrection. So, and we, we should keep this as a model of how we deal. And I know that myself, when I'm giving sermons, when I'm preaching, when I'm teaching, it's always easy to say, do this and do this and do this and do that. But I'm always challenged, you know, by questions come up later and say, but what happens if we fail? Which is an oversight on my part. Because unlike God, I forget that it's not just about theory. It's about real life. So what we need to do then is when we're dealing with each other, to say, yes, this is the case, but if we fall, it's actually when we fall, but to be nice is just if we fall, if things break down, if things don't work, then there is a solution. There's always hope. And that hope comes very, very clearly from the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in our lives and what he provides for us. He always gives us that hope. And it's an unconditional hope. It's a hope that can overcome all obstacles. Because it's a reconciliation that comes from Him. He says, return to me and I'll return to you. The story of the, of the prodigal son, where he does everything he wants. And he goes back and his father goes running to him. The less wise sheep that sort of strays. And the shepherd leaves 99 and goes after it to bring it back. So of course we should have ultimate desires of how we want to live with God. We should have the ultimate goal of being perfect and trying to reach perfection, trying to be one with Him. But we must also realize, if we fall, when we fall, there's always a process of reconciliation to come back and to regain that unity. See, God is so gracious and He values that unity so much that he knows that it is not something we should ever lose permanently. But if we ever lose it, there's always a way to get it back. There's always a way for it to be returned to us.
the one way we all become unified is by having the one thing that we all have in common very visible. What is that? It's the image and likeness of God. Everybody. Everyone. St. John Climacus speaks of the whole, sorry, St. John of Damascus speaks of the whole earth being a living icon of the face of God. So in that face of God, that joy, that light, that love, that hope, that presence, we're all there because it's what unifies us. Over these next months here in Britain, we're going to see lots of contention. You know that because of what's happening in the Middle East, in Syria, in Iraq, in Libya, we're experiencing here what people are calling a, a refugee crisis, where people are coming from all over into Europe because they're fleeing their countries that have, you know, that are in war, that have, uh, that have, uh, are in, in absolute breakdown of everything. They have no economy, they have no safety, and so they, they need security, and so they come. And here in Britain, there's a scheme to bring over, initially, 20,000 people. It doesn't sound like very much, but to some people it sounds like a lot. But what's our role in this context? First of all, how do we think about these people? Do I think of them, their suffering, so it's none of my business? Or am I able to think, again, as I said, with the mind of Christ, to say that, hang on, your suffering is my suffering. Your need is my need. And if I can provide for you, if I can help you, then I need to do that. At least in mindset, at least I'm not going to consider you as less than me. You're not inferior, you, you, you're not a stranger, you're someone who's close to my heart. I don't know you, I don't know your name, I don't know anything about you, you may not even be of the same faith. But the fact that you are suffering what you're suffering means that I as a Christian, in the face of Christ, with the mind of Christ, with the heart of Christ, I am able to feel the same level of love and compassion. So am I able to do that? Are we going to be able to look at the way we deal with people and adjust that way? Am I going to be able to look at people compassionately and lovingly? Am I going to be able to try to provide help in some way? Or at least provide prayers? Or at least be accepting? Or at least not be condemning? It's very important to remember, as I said recently, that 
Our Lord Jesus Christ himself, as an infant, was a refugee. He was accepted into Egypt. He sought refuge in Egypt when they sought to kill him. And he stayed there for years. Why did he do that? Do you think, God, you, you've, you've done the strangest things. Why take flesh? Why were you born in a manger? Why be a, become a refugee? Why become an outcast? Why become someone rejected? Because I want to show you every possible thing you might be able to experience in your life and then show you how to overcome it. Show you that it's no harder to overcome than just for you to be like me. And so when we look at these people coming to our shores, the media will have us look at them these days as those who are here to take our money, take our jobs, to take our security. Um, and there are dangers, there are risks, and there need to be checks and balances in place. But every time I receive one of these people at least into my heart, that I am really, really living and making manifest. Matthew 25. I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was sick, I was imprisoned. And every time you did this to the least of these, you did to me. So that sense of division, if we go back to the beginning, is a destructive element. It makes us go away from our Christ-likeness. makes us change our nature. Now, we shouldn't be naive, of course. We should be wise. And God calls us to be wise. But let's not let wisdom become an excuse for harshness or a lack of empathy or a lack of sympathy. Caution is no excuse for apathy. A sense of wanting to protect oneself and one's home and one's family and one's nation does not ever mean to pretend like the rest of the world doesn't exist. So that division that is with us when we act in a certain way that is not a godly way, that's a bad division. When that division means that I look at these people who come in need and reject them, That's destructive. And when that takes me away from my Christ-likeness, and so therefore becomes a division between me and God, that's destructive to me. So the only way to live the holistic image and likeness of God within ourselves, with one another, and with Him, 
is to always apply everything he did for and with us to the life that we live today. In our own lives, lives with others, lives with God, responses to what we're seeing today and similar situations, any possibility of showing the face of Christ in the world, any opportunity to shine his light and make manifest his love, anything like that is a beautiful opportunity that we become that one creation that God has created in his image and his likeness to glorify him because in that we bring his light into darkness and we bring his life into death death of sin death of oppression death of, of injustice and sometimes just death that we can make a difference and change things and be him and be his light so that when people see us and glorify us as his image and glorify him as our source then we are able to live a life that he called us to live we're able to say to people this is the difference it's not about division it's not Paul, it's not Apollos. It's not a division between us and you. It's a oneness of the humanity God has created in me, between us, and then in our lives with him, that that may be complete in that union and that we may be able to live his kingdom both here and eternally. And glory be to God forever. Amen.